Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good morning, Pod Richlers, or good evening, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, wow, it has been a rather crazy, painful week, hasn't it? Um, I, I just want to say a word about this before I get into uh, the message. That I don't know how much of the thing, the interview, or was it a job interview, or was it an interrogation, or what, what do you call this thing? But I don't know how much of that you watched, but uh, it seems to me that it's, it's kind of a microcosm into what is, I think, a sickness that is festering at the heart of America. You know, as, as you look upon the different parties as they're asking questions and arguing back and forth, it was really clear at some points that these folks most of them, it seems like they loathe each other. They don't just agree, disagree, but there's an animosity there. Sometimes it was tangible, palpable. It was just, and, and you can almost see why, given once you get all, you know, all the tit for tat that's going on, and you did this to us, so we're going to do this back to you, or you hide here, we're not going to invite you, but then you, know, you won't participate. And all this, it's like, you can see why they loathe each other, because they're kind of loathsome. I mean, the, the whole thing. The whole thing, it really was, it really was, um, it was something, and, it's, and I think that that's what we have going on in our culture is uh, people increasingly getting farther and farther apart ideologically and, and suspe- suspecting each other and then, and then accusing each other, and there's no cooperation, and there's just hostility. Um, I'm so glad I know Jesus, <laughs> and my hope's in Jesus Christ, because right now it's... But there's, there's, and, and it's the kind of thing where, because it's in this toxic atmosphere, everything you say, people are like, will try to overinterpret it, you know, and so, and, and there's always a million angles at things. But I really want to take one angle on this. It's only one angle on this, but it's a big one, and I want to address it, and I want us to pray for this. And that's this, that I'm aware that this week, well, it was rough for everybody, I think, um, for women who are survivors of sexual assault, I think this, was, this could be a profoundly difficult week. Uh, in fact, I know from social media and other venues that um, as many women as they listened to Ms. Ford testify, it was their story. It was their story. And multitudes of women have, you know, have kept this quiet for decades and decades. Sometimes they never tell anybody there's such shame surrounding this. And, or they just don't think anything will happen of it. And, and, and so, so this has stirred up a lot of, of raw emotions for survivors of sexual assault. And the stats on this are absolutely breathtaking. It's like well, there's an there's a elephant in the room, an epidemic. And we're starting to hear about it now, thanks to the Me Too movement and, and uh, that thread, why I didn't go public. Uh, or why I didn't tell my story. There's thousands of, of, of people getting on there now telling their story and why they didn't tell their story. And um, I, I think we should stop and pray for, for that segment of the population. Uh, one out of three women, they say, are sexually assaulted. One out of women. And the real... 80% of sexual assaults don't ever get reported. Um, there's just so many things around it. And maybe that's going to be changing now. But... But it's a secret. Um, in fact, out of, for every thousand rapes, and rapes isn't just about intercourse, by the way. It's legally 
Uh, that's all I'll say enough of that. But, but, but for every thousand, there are six rapists who get convicted. For every thousand rapes, six. That's it. Um, it's, it's, it's deplorable. And so women often feel they, they, they're not going to be heard. They're not going to be taken seriously. Maybe it's even going to be used against them. What were you wearing? What you know, had you drank? And, and all these things. And so it's a, it's a painful secret that many women keep. And we should just pray. Father, uh, there is uh, reigning chaos and animosity all over the place right now. And as people uh, who are called to work for the good of the city, we pray for our land. And that you'd heal the divisions of this land. Because we don't see a way forward on our own. Uh, and Lord, right now we want to intercede and use the authority that you've given us as kingdom people to use that on behalf of women who have been victimized, who have been assaulted. Um, and maybe who have been carrying this dark, painful secret for a long time. And perhaps it's influenced their life, the quality of their life, in, in ways that maybe they don't even know. And folks, as I'm praying here, if you know a particular survivor, pray for that particular survivor. Apply, or maybe it applies to you. Apply it to yourself. Father, we ask that you, by the power of your spirit, heal women who have had this terrible experience. Uh, Lord, bring comfort to them as they're perhaps experiencing raw pain right now, as this has activated so much stuff in their own memory. And I pray, Lord, that, that you, you surround them with people that they can begin to tell their story to. And receive healing for that. And for all the survivors in this auditorium or who are listening through podcasts, we pray for them, Lord, that you touch them and heal them and restore them and, and, and eradicate from the brain any message that, that abuse has given them about themselves. Uh, we come against every lie that, that they might have believed as a result of this and ask that you comfort them and heal them. And Lord, we also stand in the gap on behalf of... of uh, the men, usually, who have perpetrated this uh, abuse. We pray, Lord, that, that if they haven't yet woken up to the uh, wounds and lies, choices that they've made that brought them to this point, that they would do so and turn from it, Lord. And we pray, God, for healing for them and restoration for them. We're thankful, God, that there is no sin that puts us outside of your love. And, and, and so, we, God, we pray that you'd love them into wholeness. Whatever views need to change in their mind about women, however those lies got there, we come against that in Jesus' name. And now, Lord, for this message, I pray, Lord, that you just infuse it with your authority to do what only you can do, and that's build your kingdom in our hearts and in our minds. Affect God, impact, fundamentally change the way we carry ourselves and the way we think about things and the way we interact with people, all people, at all times. Use this message to build your kingdom in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Thanks. Okay, I, I, last week's message, if you weren't here, I really want to encourage you to get it. It's a paradigm-shifting, game-changing kind of a message. Uh, if, if you internalize this, it will fundamentally change the way you look at people and the way you feel about people. But because it's, it's such a paradigm-shifting thing, it's never easy to shift paradigms. You know, we don't change our mind easily. Uh, I, I, I want to do a review of this. And, and uh, it will lead into the message I'm going to give this morning. The message is called uh, Warfare Hospitality. Uh, that sounds like a misnomer, but, but you'll see here in a little bit it's not. Um, but Okay, so what we saw last week was this. The most fundamental job of a, of a kingdom person is to get our thoughts and our words and our actions to line up with what is real as defined by God. That's really in a nutshell. 
It encompasses everything else we're supposed to do. To get our thoughts and words and actions to line up with reality as defined by God. And that reality we saw last week is created on the cross. The cross brings about an entirely new creation. And so the way we look at the world is supposed to be fundamentally different from the way that normal folks look at the world. Unbelievers look at the world. Uh, Paul says we don't look at the world any longer from a human point of view. He uses that phrase, sarx in Greek. It's, it's a way of looking at the world where appearances define reality. What you see is what you got. It's looking at the world as though there was no spiritual realm and God didn't exist and the cross didn't change everything for everybody, as though that wasn't true. And so it, it, and it, the, point, the, the human point of view always has an us-them polarity to it, an insider-outsider kind of polarity. There's an exclusionary factor. Because the human point of view is always assessing and comparing and contrasting and measuring things and evaluating things, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Paul says we once looked at Christ from a human point of view. He was just a guy who got crucified, but we, we look at him that way no longer. He had a completely different way of looking at Jesus. But it wasn't just Jesus, because then he, he says in 2 Corinthians 5 um, that if, 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 if we don't regard anyone from a human point of view, from the normal point of view, from the appearance point of view, rather... He says, the love of Christ urges us on. 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ urges us because we're convinced that if one died for all, that all have died. If one died for all, then all have died. And that's how we're going to look at the, the world. And Paul is saying here that every human being, past, present, and future, in some sense died 2,000 years ago on the cross. And what died about every person 2,000 years ago on the cross is everything that could separate them from God. Uh, that's why Paul goes on in, in 2 Corinthians 5 to say, God is no longer holding anyone's trespasses against them. The whole judgment game has been collapsed. That's why he says that in Colossians 2 that when, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, all, all, the, all our sin, everything that the enemy had on us, everything that could indict us, condemn us, accuse us, and shame us, it was nailed to the cross as well and abolished and destroyed and obliterated. It's no longer there. It's like God canceled our debt by Canceling the whole economy. <laughs> You're not allowed to have debts anymore. Money has no value. So also we just took sin off the table. It's, that's no longer the issue. And if one died, then all have died. And so we're to look at everybody, not from a human point of view, but from that point of view. The Paul says, look, if anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation. Behold, all things have, old things have passed away. Everything is new. We're looking at people in, in, in that light. Look at everybody as claimed by God. We all were outsiders, but he's made us all insiders, and we're to see them as insiders and treat them as insiders. That's why Paul says statements like this. We looked at this last week. Uh, in Romans 5, he says that just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all. Folks, we were all condemned, all of us, in Adam. So one man's act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all. It's the same all. As inclusive as Adam was, that's how inclusive Christ is. For just as by one man's disobedience, the many or the multitude were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, the multitude will be made righteous. Now, this is the reality that was created on Calvary. You have it right there, and there's many other passages I could appeal to as well. Regardless of how things appear, God's got this bear hug around all of humanity and is claiming all of humanity and saying that you are, whereas you all were outside now because of the cross, because everything that separates people from from, from God has been done away with. Now everybody is included in this. Uh, we sometimes have such a stingy view of, of, of God. He just gives grace to a few. He just, you know, the, the select few. But in fact, this is a God who just lavishes abundant love and grace on all. 
The all that were in Adam are all that's in Christ. Now, that, that all in Christ, this bear hug that God's got around humanity, claiming everybody, that is the victory of love over all opposition. That's what it looks like when God's love has, has done away with everything that opposes it. All are in Christ. But because it's a reality of love, it's got to be chosen. Um, love can't be coerced. And our salvation is nothing other than our love relationship with God. This is eternal life that we know Jesus Christ. Uh, John 17, 3 says. So people are free to reject this reality if they want, whether because they're deceived about it or whether because they prefer their own alternate reality. People are free to reject this reality. In fact, that's what sin is. Sin is always rejecting God's definition of reality and preferring our own alternate definition of reality. Uh, we, we, we go down our own course. We, think we, we arrogantly think we have the right to decide what is true and, and act accordingly. So we have our own alternate version of reality. See, right there in Genesis 3. And the Bible warns us that if you go down that path all the way to the end, it results in death. To have your own alternate reality and not submit to God's beautiful new reality created in Christ Jesus, that leads to death. It's not that God will kill you if you go down that road. It's that the road leads to death. It's like in Genesis uh, 2, when the Lord spoke to Adam, he said, oh, Adam, here's what's real. If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. He didn't say, if you eat of that tree, I'm going to kill you. He doesn't have to kill. The sin does the killing. <laughs> the alternate reality does the killing. You try to live in your own alternate reality in the physical realm, and you'll get yourself killed pretty quickly. You have to accommodate what is real and the laws of physics and all that stuff. Otherwise, you might find yourself getting killed. But it does lead to death, which is why I don't think these passages that we just looked at imply universalism. But they do show God's perspective. They do show the reality that God created on the cross. People are free to accept it or reject it, but that's the reality. The reality is that God has made all outsiders insiders, praise God. And made all those who were not part of the household of God as insiders into the household of God. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, wait a minute. So, how does that work? How, like, don't you need to believe in Jesus to be saved? Okay, here's the thing. Uh, what these passages show is that the default setting has changed. Uh, in my experience, most Christians assume that the default is that you're out unless you put yourself in. The default is that everybody is a damned sinner going to hell unless they do something to make themselves insiders, which is believe in Jesus. And that's a pessimistic way of looking at the world that comes from St. Augustine. He referred to humanity as the mass perditionis, the mass of perdition, the mass of damnable creatures. And in his wonderful view, uh, you're, the most human beings were predestined to be creatures of damnation. So you have a real negative looking way of looking at the world, and the saved are the exceptions. But folks, these passages change that default. The default is that you're in. And yes, you can put yourself out by rejecting reality, but... The reality is that you're in. Hallelujah. God is, it's, Ali Ali free put this bear hug of love around everybody on the cross and taking care of the sin question for everybody on the cross. Uh, but you can put yourself out if you want. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, wait a minute, how can, I, if a non-believer dies, how can they be saved? Everyone's saved through Jesus. There's only one Savior. But, um, but look, at, here's the thing. The, the Bible, there's a number of passages that indicate that God judges people not, not primarily on the content of their theology in their head, as though the whole goal of existence was to pass a theology test correctly. Um, no, he, he judges people based on their heart and based on the light they've received. He knows the people. 
And on top of that, I would submit to you that there's a number of passages that suggest that, that God's not done working with a person when they die. Um, he tells us as much of the story as we need to know, but there's some indications that, that he continues this work a, a, after we die. If you're interested in finding out about that, I did a sermon on this called Between Death and Resurrection uh, last April. And uh, I, I talk about it more deeply there. But, but how, let God work out the details. Our job description, ladies and gentlemen, is to know what reality is and to get our thinking and to get our actions to line up with that reality. And what reality is, is that God has made all outsiders insiders. Think that way. Interact that way. Uh, what, 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 what's real is that God's not holding anyone's sin against them. That, that, that all has been forgiven and all has been cleansed. What's real is that, that, that God has shared his abundance of grace with every human being on this planet. And, and therefore, we're to see them in that light, not judge them according to the human point of view, according to appearances, who gives a rip how things appear. What's important is what's real. And what's real is Jesus, his death on the cross, and how it includes all human beings. And see, folks, if, if, if we're doing that, if we're treating all outsiders as insiders because what's real is that they are insiders, God says so, well, then we'll be practicing outrageous hospitality. That's just what hospitality is, treating the stranger as your own, making them feel welcome as though they belong. So hospitality in the kingdom isn't something we do on occasion. Today I'm going to be hospitable. No, if, if, if our fundamental way of looking at the world towards everybody all the time is supposed to be in accordance with the reality that's all-inclusive and everybody's an insider, then that means Treating everybody as an insider is a fundamental aspect of just what it is to be a kingdom person. I might say it like this. Kingdom hospitality is simply what it looks like when God's people are living accurately and see accurately. If you see accurately and live accurately in accordance with the new creation that's come about in Christ Jesus, you will be an outrageously hospitable person. There you go. It's not always easy. Um, as you know, especially if you've been trying this, I mean, we all have those boogers in our life who can drive us crazy and they can be mean and they maybe hurt you or hurt your loved one and the, you, people that in the flesh you would feel totally justified hating, right? You guys don't have any people like that. You just have lovey, lovey, dovey people in your life. Is that it? No, there's always those people. But see, here's the thing. And so you have to make a real conscious choice. I'm going to see them this way. I'm going to interact with them this way. And... Uh, uh, that can be hard. You gotta just, because your neural net patterns have been conditioned just to see them according to the human point of view, and from a human point of view, they are just disgusting. You know how it is. But folks, lock this in. The more difficult it is to do, the more important it is to do. It's important for everybody, but especially for those folks that trigger us and get us into our carnal self. Oh, here's a growth opportunity if ever there was one. And, 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 and I bet all of us have some growth opportunities in our life. Um, but that's, it's all the more important to do that. I encourage us to be, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is the way everybody else thinks, the way everybody else acts, everyone else's perspective, the human point of view. Don't be conformed to that any longer, even though we've been programmed to think this way. We have to deprogram ourselves, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew it again and again and again and again. And it's the most important work of discipleship that we do. Uh, that which we ignore most of the time is the thing that's most important. How are we looking at people? What are we thinking about people? What's going on in our brain? And, 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 make that, and see, if you make that choice and start intentionally doing this, and it takes intentionality, 
Because your autopilot has already been programmed. You have to, you're reprogramming your brain, which is what Paul tells us to do in Romans 12 too. And if you do that, you're going to start bumping up against all the crap that's in your brain. Oh, your brain is full of crap. I guarantee you, it's full of crap. You've been conditioned by the pattern of this world to look at appearances and to evaluate. That's what we do all day long. Oh, I like, I approve, I disapprove. And we're always just like yapping, yapping, yapping. It's not stop. But we're so used to it that we don't even notice it. It's just background noise. But it affects us to the degree that we're yapping about people we're not loving them. Um, and so, so if you're intentional about what you think and what's going on in your brain, you will start bumping up. All of a sudden, oh, I notice. you'll notice. Oh, there's an interesting piece of gossip. There's the, and, and, and when that happens, just set that aside and say, I choose to look at and interact with people, not from this human perspective, but from the perspective of, 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 of the cross. Now, maybe someone here is asking this question, and it's a good question. I'm hearing you right now. I can feel it over the airways. I'm receiving that thought right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You're thinking this, aren't you? That, okay, there's this new creation that's so wonderful, and if old things have all passed away, and if everything's new because of the cross, everyone's included, everything's the new creation, well then, why is the world so totally messed up? This last week being a case in point. <laughs> Uh, it's a good question. And we can, well, why don't we see that? Now, here's the thing. Paul and the authors of the New Testament, they knew very well that the world was still messed up. They knew that it didn't look like the cross changed anything. No one had to tell them that. I mean, these people suffered persecution and ostracization, and, and ultimately they were martyred for their faith, so they knew very well that we still live in a fallen world. And yet they make these statements, and they're all over the place in the New Testament, about how we are in a new creation and the old is past and everything's new and, and, and we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So how could they make statements like that? And this brings us to what is known as the famous already not yet paradox of the New Testament. The already not yet paradox of the New Testament. It's a funky thing going on here, but it's fascinating. Now I have in the past, whenever I talk about the already not yet paradox of the New Testament, which I do about once a year or so, but whenever I do that, I usually use a very clever analogy that I've gotten from quantum physics involving muon particles. And the eight people that understood it thought it was very clever. <laughs> so, Bruxy has a, a, a Bruxy Cavi, he's a friend of Woodland Hills Church, a great friend of mine. I just did a conference with him three weeks ago. And he used this analogy that he actually used here about a year ago. But it's so simple. He's a master at making things simple. He's just like, he knows how to, he's like, he, he packages deep theological truths into little fortune cookie statements, and they just kind of come out. So he, he's a master at that. So I'm just going to plagiarize Bruxy. Is that okay? He plagiarizes me all the time. <laughs> at least I mention when I'm doing it. Okay, so here's what he says. Most people think like this. Like, here's your life now, and then here's your, the afterlife. And here's where you go to heaven, and all the good stuff starts, right? Here's our life now, mediocre, painful, blah, 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 blah. But then we'll start eternal life and all that thing over, over here. That's how most people think. But what the New Testament presents is more something like this. We have like a two-layered reality. Uh, we've got up here the, the things that are already true, all the things the New Testament says about you and about the world and about other people, that it's already true. And yet, we still live in an environment that doesn't fully acknowledge that if it acknowledges it at all. Uh, there's this transitional stage we're in. The good stuff has already started. I mean, you inherited the kingdom when you surrendered your life to Christ. And, and that's yours now. Eternal life starts now. 
you are already, you have eternal life if you surrender your life to Christ. Um, don't, don't wait for that. I think we wait too much for some of the good stuff instead of trying to live it out now. So there's this already true, not yet. You're already fully saved. And yet, the Bible says, work out your salvation. So there's a sense in which it's not yet, not yet manifested. Uh, you're already holy and blameless. Ah, but you don't look that way all the time and don't think that way all the time. Uh, and, and, and so the Bible says, put off sin and pursue holiness and Christ-likeness. Already not yet. Already not yet. There's a whole new creation, but man, it sure looks it's like it's still pretty screwed up. The devil's already defeated. The kingdom of darkness has been done in. And yet the Bible tells us that we're to live our life in warfare against the, the devil and the principalities and powers. And so, so it's this transitional period we're in. It's, it's a period in which people will choose to accept reality or not. It, it's a transitional reality in which God wants to partner with the church to manifest as much of the already, already in the world of not yet as is possible. That's our fundamental job. Put on display the beauty of this down here. Um, it's, a, it's a period of time where, where God is partnering with the church uh, so that we're in training for our future reign. The Bible says we're going to reign with him. Uh, there's going to be a, he wants a bride who sits on the throne with him. And I don't know all the details about what that involves, but I do know that, so even right now, he doesn't want to do everything for us. He wants us to be a bride who's got authority, who's got sass, who's got say-so, who knows who she is and, and, and know who she's over and, and knows what reality is and, and manifest that reality at all times and all places. So there's choices that we make and, and we're in transition for this. But it's all already true and yet it's not fully manifested, including the fact that the devil's been defeated in principle and yet the Bible says that he's still very much alive in this world, working his deception. I'll just look at two passages that have to deal with this. The first one is, uh, what's the first one? It's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul says, Anyone who you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. And we do this so that we may not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of Satan's designs. So Paul here is saying one of the reasons he forgives is... Uh, because to not forgive is to be outwitted by Satan. We're not ignorant about his schemes, his designs, and so we forgive. So we're supposed to know that one of his designs is to get us to not forgive. Because he's a thief who comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. And he knows, and you ought to know, that when you swallow bitterness, when you hang on to grudges, when you don't forgive... It starts to eat you alive. It's a kind of cancer on the inside. And Satan delights in that. You're being played when you hang on to grudges. And he deceives you into thinking that, oh, you're really showing them. You're making them pay. But in fact, you're pay picking up the whole tab for the whole thing. And so be wise. Don't be outwitted. Now, the statement presupposes that Satan is an intelligent agent who's got schemes. He's a roaring lion who's got schemes and plans. And they're against us. And they're against all relationships. Satan hates relationships. Uh, because to the degree that a relationship is loving and authentic, it reflects the image of God, and Satan deplores that. And so what he's all about is getting people to hate each other, to turn on each other, and to blow apart relationships. He loves to blow apart marriages, loves to blow apart friendships, loves to blow apart covenant groups, uh, loves to blow apart neighborhoods and workplaces, wherever he can sow seeds of dissension and mistrust and slander and animosity, he will be doing it. And as far as I can see, he's doing a lot of it in our White House these days, in our Congress, in our Senate, in our government. It's just sowing all sorts of seeds of dissension. Uh, uh, he, he's the ultimate divider. And so we're supposed to know that, and that, that should affect how we live. 
Don't be outwitted. There's a scheming agent out there. Another passage that is so brilliant on this is Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says this, Our, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is never against humans. Everyone say that. Our struggle is never against humans. Let's say it now with conviction. Our struggle is never against humans. Never. Never. It's always against the powers. Uh, now, you ask the question, why would Paul preface this by saying our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rather it's against the principalities and powers? Why don't you just dive in and say, hey, we struggle against principalities and powers? And I think the reason is because these are two sides of the same coin. Now, follow me on that. Follow me on this. See, here's the thing. We are either, we're either resisting the powers that are always trying to divide us or we're being played by the powers that are always trying to divide us. And so if we're resisting the powers, it means we're committing to aligning our thought and our life with the reality that all have been included in Christ. And so we see everybody as included and we treat everybody as, as included. And that means you don't have any enemies. They may think you're an enemy, but you're seeing them as an insider, regardless of how things appear. Because that's what's true as, 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 as revealed and created by, 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 by the cross. So you're either resisting the powers, in which case you're seeing them as they really are, and welcoming them as, as humans. And so that's pushing back on the powers. The way you do warfare against the powers is to refuse to ever not love anyone for any reason whatsoever. Just refuse that. And now you're raging war against the powers. You resist. But if you're not doing that, if you really think that, that that other person there, that flesh and blood person is your enemy, well, then you're being played by the powers. Played by them. They're, they're manipulating you. They're influencing you to think that other person is the enemy because if you think they're the enemy, then you're not going to be thinking that the powers are the enemy, which is what allows you to get played by the enemy. And I don't know about you, but I hate to get played. So, so what, what it means is this. It, it, your decision to either see a person as they really are, included in Christ, or to see things from a human point of view, and therefore maybe judge them to be an enemy, or at least someone inferior to you, or whatever, um, that decision doesn't take place in a vacuum. And it is a decision. It, it, you have to be intentional at changing your mind about people. It won't change itself. God has empowered you, spirit being, to have authority over this organic computer. It's your job to, pro to program it. Um, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. But that decision is, doesn't take place in a vacuum. It's not just you and your little tiny brain making a decision that only affects you. This takes place in a context of a cosmic battle. And in fact, your decision is part of that battle. Every decision. You either are furthering the kingdom a little bit by seeing people in a kingdom way, or you're going to further the agenda of the kingdom of darkness by seeing them in a kingdom of darkness kind of way. Uh, and I find it very helpful to frame that to, to frame this in this way, in the context of a cosmic battle. Because I hate to get played. And it gives me extra fuel in battling this to see it as me being played. Um, I hate manipulation. Who here likes manipulation? All right. It's one of my top pet peeves. It has been my whole life. I, I've been paranoid about manipulation since I was a kid. I mean, I, whenever everyone's agreeing with something, I always was wondering, are we being brainwashed here? I, I, like, in first grade, I'm thinking that. Hey, what's wrong with me? But I, I, I just hate any kind of manipulation. Like, there was a, a conference I did a number of years ago. And it was right when my book, God at War, came out on spiritual warfare. And, and this, this one well-known charismatic leader 
teacher guy. He liked the book a lot, so he, he wanted to team up with me. And, and so I would do the teachings during the day on spiritual warfare stuff, kind of make it, give it legitimacy. And then he would practice it at night. And, and there were some things that were outside of my um, comfort zone in this meeting. But on the whole, you know, you learn to let things slide and God uses a lot of different means and whatever. So, so I was already a little bit uncomfortable, but it was working. But then he had this thing where he, in the, at the end of a service, he called up all the pastors up to the front of the auditorium to, to, for him to pray over us. And, and so I was a pastor, so I went up there. And I'm on the far left end of the line, and thankfully he started on the far right end of the line. So he starts praying for people, these pastors, and within 20, 30 seconds, the first pastor falls down. Just kind of does a little jolt and falls down. Then he goes to the second one. The second one falls down. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. They're all falling down like dominoes. And he gets about 10 away from me, and I'm all of a sudden feeling this tremendous social pressure on me. Like, it was like every eye in the auditorium is going to be looking at me, and I better fall down. You know, here's the thing. I have, I, I've never experienced this falling down thing, but I have, I, I know people who have, and, and, and it can be legit. I mean, I've seen people get freed from stuff where the power of God comes on them, and for whatever reason, they just sort of fall over. And there's some biblical precedent for that, where the glory of God comes down and everyone gets prostrated on the floor. Uh, so I'm not against the concept itself. It can happen, but like everything else, it can also be manipulated. And I hate when it's manipulated. And I was feeling mani- man- manipulated in this, in this time. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe all of those were genuine. Maybe this is just my little paranoid anti-manipulation brain going on. And, and that if I would have just stayed in line, I would have got zapped and unconscious and would have woken up and been holier or something. I don't know. But it felt so manipulative. And my motivation for staying in line and falling over would have been that I'm letting myself get manipulated. And I hate to do that. So I quietly stepped out of line. Just like, <laughs> don't notice me. Greg the meek and lowly. Just... Which is pretty hard to do when you're in the front of the auditorium and everyone's looking at you. I, said, I have to go potty. <laughs> I should have made up an excuse. I didn't. I just got out and I, and I stood off of the line, which didn't endear me to the person who was doing this praying because everyone saw me do that. And it looked like a big diss. And so I got disinvited to all future conferences with this guy. And I don't mean to brag, but I am good at that. I, 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 I happen to be... If you need advice on how to get disinvited places, I'm the guy to go to. <laughs> It's a gift. I can't help it. <laughs> so, folks, our situation is kind of like this. Now, I'm going to talk from an earthly point of view, from a natural point of view, for a second to draw an analogy to the kingdom of God. All right? But here's the situation I think we are in uh, as a planet. Um, it's a little like this. There, we, we've got 17, I've read, 17 different intelligence agencies working in the U.S., FBI, CIA, and all those guys. And all of them agree that, that Russia was very involved in our election in 2016. They meddled. At a lot of different levels and a lot of different ways. But one of the most sinister things they did and are still doing, I'm told, is that they, are, they look for fault lines in the culture of America, and they're doing this with other countries as well, places of tension or division, and they salt it. Uh, and they salt it with fake news, bombarding it with all sorts of stories that are specifically designed and cleverly masked to inflame hatred of Americans towards other Americans. Find the fault lines and exploit them. 
I, I've read that it's an intentional strategy on their part, uh, that, that they know they can't compete with us in the military anymore since the Soviet Union collapsed. They, they're, they're, their military is now one-fourth what ours is. Why we need four times what they've got, I don't know. But, but they know they can't beat us militarily. So they're looking at other ways of bringing a country down. And here's an idea. Let it in, in, let's help it in, implode it from the inside. Turn it, it's divide and conquer. Uh, take all the tensions and all the arguments and disagreements that are already there and along racial lines, along political lines, and let's just salt them. Let's just saturate those areas with this fake news so everybody hates everybody. And it's not, it's impossible to detect the degree to which they influence the election by these means. But just judging from this last week, it seems to me they've done a darn good job with that inflaming hatred towards one another. Uh, all over the place. People are, are just getting, you hear these stories, they're masked very, very well. They got these bots that spread them all over the place at lightning speed. And, and uh, it, it, it's, worked, it's, it's working ingeniously. Now, the only way I could see that we could avoid this, other than putting, learning how to stop them from doing that, um, but, but the only way that this could possibly actually work in our favor would be if, if Americans woke up to the fact that we're being played and decided we don't want it anymore, and that ending, we'd rather not be played, our, 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 our hatred of being played is greater than our hatred for the person that they're playing us to hate. And so if we would just say, hey, look, at it. we're both victims here. We're both being played. My hatred for you is in part because they're making me hate you, and that makes me very angry. I'm not going to take it anymore. So you come together, and now you stand against a common enemy. I mean, it would be possible that we could unite. I'm talking from an earthly point of view here, natural point of view. Unite, that having a common enemy would unite us. It, that, that would actually be bigger than our differences. Now, I'm not terribly optimistic about this, but I'm not optimistic about anything in the world except for Jesus Christ, so take that for what it's worth. But uh, it, it, it's, 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 that, that'd be the only way to fight this. See, by, by the same means, this is what's, what's going on here. It's kingdom people. We can acknowledge that, uh, that Russia is the enemy of the United States, but they're not our enemies. Why? Because God made them insiders and we're not allowed to have any enemies, right? But uh, uh, you get the analogy. So we're here, and what's real is that the cross has changed everything for everyone. That's what's real. But we yet live in a spiritually oppressed place where Satan is still, even after the resurrection, called the God of this age and the principality and power of the air. And Jesus three times calls him the Lord of the earth. And 1 John 5 says that he controls the entire world. So there's a lot of oppression going on here, a lot of deception going on here. And in this context, we are bombarded with fake news all the time. Fake news is any lie that you believe. And the lies of the pattern of this world are all around us all the time coming at us. Lies about who we are, who they are, who God is, what reality is. Fake news. And when you hear this fake news, it will pull, there's a pull, there's a pull on us to just ignore the foreigner, to not care about the foreigner, the stranger, to, to, to forget about the person that we don't know, and to focus only on those that are our in, on our inner circle. There's a constant pull towards this us-them mindset that characterizes the natural point of view, the insider-outsider mindset that characterizes the human point of view. And so there's this pull to see the person who's really different from you as, uh, as that unpleasant or, or maybe even a little scary. Uh, you don't want to hang around with them. Maybe you even see them as a threat. It's a constant pull to get our lives so busy that we just don't have time to even think about the stranger that we don't know. So all of our energy is spent on me and my own. 
But folks, we are called to be a people who align all of our thoughts and all of our actions and all of our words up with reality. And the reality is that God has included everybody in on the cross. And so we're called to see the world that way, not from a human point of view, but according to truth. And to do that, we've got we've to take a stand where we say, I will not be manipulated. I will not be played. I will not be jerked around. Uh, uh, let that tick you off. It ought to tick you off. Now, don't start hating Satan. We're not told to hate Satan or to love Satan or to anything for Satan. We're just told to resist him. So God will take care of Satan. But you ought to hate being played. And, and so whenever we feel that pull towards that ordinary earthly perspective, uh, let alone when we start to think of another person as our enemy, no, realize you're being played and refuse to do it. We're bombarded with all this fake news that, inclined, that pulls us in the direction of... of uh, Seeing the, the, the other person as our enemy. And they, they'll, they'll try to get us to think that, you know, the Russians, they are your enemy. That's right, the Russians, they're the enemy. Or the Muslims are the enemy. Or those loathsome Republicans are the enemies. Or those despicable the Democrats, they're the enemies. Or the socialists, or the communists, or the party of one, maybe. They're the enemies. Or maybe it's your neighbor, or maybe it's your boss, or your mother-in-law, or your child. I mean, under the influence of the powers, any person we get really mad at becomes an enemy. If we're letting ourselves get played. But see... We're to see everything in the light of the cross, in the light of the new creation, in the light of this good news. And so we've got to plant our feet in the ground and say, I will not buy this fake news because I'm embracing God's all-inclusive good news. Hallelujah. And I'm going to see the world according to that. And we will not be played. We're no one's sucker. Don't be the enemy's sucker. And so when we feel that pull, you just remind yourself what is true, what God has done on the cross, and see everyone in that direction. Under the bombardment of all the fake news about who you are and who God is and who the other person is, we're inclined, we're pulled in the direction of, of seeing people from that natural point of view that just judges things on appearances. And then has an endless running commentary based on what we find in those appearances. There's a pull like that. And there's a pull that we've succumbed to far too often throughout history where we decide that whatever in their appearances is off, wrong, or missing, that that's a major thing, but what's off, wrong, or missing in me, my sin is a minor thing, and then we form a little holy club of all of us people who have the minor sins as opposed to those people who have the major sins, buying into the natural perspective, which always has an us-them, an inside-outside thing, and we feed off of that. That's what's called religion. But we're not called to be religious, we're called to be faithful. Faithful in our thoughts and faithful in our words and faithful in our actions. Faithful in, in reflecting the truth of what God has already done in a world that won't yet acknowledge it. And so we include everybody as insiders, no ifs, ands, or buts. No conditions, because there are no conditions. The one condition was that Jesus died for all, therefore all have died. And that condition has been met, thank you very much. And given that fact, it changes how we view everybody at all times. So we, we're, we're to be a people who... In every way possible, we, we, we proclaim this truth that, that, that Rus Russians, you're welcome here. We treat you as one of our own. Even if you, did, even if you were personally involved in screwing around with our election stuff, America's got to take care of that. But, but we're not here to represent America. We're here to represent the kingdom. And the kingdom says, we welcome you. You're one of us. God has made you one of us. And our job is to agree with God. And to the Muslim, we would say, we welcome you. You're one of us. Uh, because God, in fact, has made you one of us. You don't know it yet. Appearances wouldn't indicate it. But we're not here to reflect appearances. We're here to reflect reality as defined by the cross. The enemy gets you to think that yeah, it's, it's, it's that party or this party or those LGBTQ people. They're, they're the real threats here. Or those illegal immigrants. That's the threat here. But 
Folks, our job is to manifest the reality that there's this all-inclusive love of God that includes everybody. It's made everybody insiders. So we say to the LGBTQ crowd, you are welcome. You're one of us. We treat you as one of us because God has made you one of us. And we say to the illegal immigrant, you're one of us. You're welcome here. You belong here because God's made you belong here. We, our job is to reflect reality. And so it is for every possible people group or every possible enemy you could possibly imagine. Every possible sinner you could imagine. I don't care what you've done, what you, who you've hurt, the mess you've made, the scum that you've created, the sewage that you've drank. I, it doesn't matter how low you've sunk. You're no different than any of the rest of us. So welcome to the all-inclusive Recovering Sinners Club. You know? and, and, and we're not evaluating anything. And See, we're not creating anything with that. We're just acknowledging what God has created. Our job is to reflect reality, to manifest this, to see everybody... It's part of this new creation. We all were lost sinners, but now we're included to, to reflect to everybody, God's not holding your sin against you, so how could we possibly hold your sin against you? To re- manifest the reality that one died for all, therefore all has died, and everything that separates everybody from God has been taken care of on the cross. And our great privilege is to be able to put that on display. In a world that doesn't yet acknowledge it, we get to put that on display, and we get to hopefully at times be able to explain to people what's going on here. You, you're far more beautiful than you realize, far, infinitely and, and, and God is far more beautiful than you realize. And the reality he's created is far more beautiful than you realize. But if you hang out with us for a while, maybe it'll start to rub off on you. I hope it does. Praise God. Praise God. So, folks, I encourage us to commit. It takes intentionality. It, it, whatever it takes to remember this. It, it, to change your thought patterns is not easy. It takes discipleship. So discipleship between the brain is the main place for discipleship. Take the three and a half pounds of noodles between your ears captive for Jesus Christ. Don't think about taking America back for God until you get those three and a half pounds of noodles fixed. If you go out and try to take America back for God without those noodles being fixed, you're just going to further break America, all right? Uh, be the change you want to see in the world. That's what Gandhi said. It applies to the church. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you find yourself judging folks, when you find yourself looking at things from an ordinary, natural, human perspective, when you find yourself falling into that tribal, us-of-them mindset, and you'll, 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 you'll catch this if you're intentional. Uh, you, you'll see that you're being pulled in that direction. At that point, remind yourself, you're getting played. You're getting played. Do you want to get played? No. If you don't want to be a sucker, then line up your thoughts with reality. and Just change your mind, seeing them as they really are in Christ. In fact, this works for all sin. Name any sin you want, uh, there, there's an enemy involved in that. Nothing takes place in a vacuum. Jesus said one time, oh, i got to wrap this up quick, but here, uh, this is free of charge. He says uh, that, that, let your yes be yes and your no be no, Matthew 5, because anything more than this comes from the evil one. So just saying, oh, I swear to God, well, that, don't say that. Your character should be enough. And, and, and going beyond a yes or no, even that comes from the evil one. So if the evil one is involved in what I would think would be a rather minor sin, do you think there's anything he's not involved in? And I don't know the mechanics of all that, but we're, we're never in a neutral zone. There's always a force playing us, and we've got to be people who say we will not be played, we will not accept the fake news because we embrace the good news, uh, the all-inclusive good news, and we look at the world through that good news, uh, and, and we treat the world according to that good news, and we will not be played. We are nobody's sucker. We're children of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah, amen, amen. Yes. Nobody's sucker. Okay, would you stand? I'd like to invite uh, the prayer teams to come up here. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, I really encourage you to come up here and talk with these folks. They'd love to pray with you. Maybe, maybe that prayer I prayed at the beginning about for women who have been violated, uh, that maybe this, this is coming to the surface and it's time to talk about it.
And by the way, uh, everything is shared with these fine folks up here at the altar. Uh, they got to go to the grave with it. They're, they're, they're sworn to secrecy, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, and if you're here this morning and you're not a surrendered follower of Jesus, could I encourage you to consider becoming one because it's the smartest thing to do and it's the best thing to do. And it's the way that manifests eternal life. So if that's something that's pulling on you, any plausibility there, come up and talk to these folks. They'd love to explain to you what it is to get started as a, a follower of Jesus. So folks, as we leave here, can we do it as a people who are committed? to aligning all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our actions up with the all-inclusive, beautiful, super good news of what God has created on Calvary. If you're in agreement with that, say amen and go out and love your neighbors. Amen, amen. Don't forget, hospitality begins at the house of God, so meet one person you didn't know before and welcome them. <laughs>